0: Ah, <laughs> so we're recording no. I think you could call this uh, CD6 episode 2! Yeah, oh, there
1: it's we Well, I mean, I think we're, we're just to give people a little bit of context, we're sitting here in the The middle of a very strange week in this country, I think, uh, following the death of Her Majesty, unfortunately. Yes. Um, And uh, uh, where the funeral is on Monday. That's right. And the distillery is going to be closed, and most of the UK, I think, is going to be closed on Monday.
0: Now, there's not many times the distillery... And we're talking about Glengoyne, because we're in the boardroom of Glengoyne. We are in the boardroom There's not many Glen-Goyne. times the distillery closes, so it's a real sign of respect. No, it, absolutely. And that will be
1: repeated around industry, would you imagine? I think it will be, yeah. Uh, most distilleries, I think, are shut. We're not even producing, so we're not going to be mashing at all. Um, it's a complete shutdown. Um And, uh, yeah, I mean, undoubtedly, uh, you know, a, a momentous day um and a time to to show respect whatever your views are of the monarchy i think i think so and
0: i think what we'd like to do is have a, a themed episode a little bit about the royals and whiskey because they're intertwined mm-hmm. but it would be nice to pay respects to the late queen with a dram i
1: think well that, like what well, of course i mean it's whiskey unscripted so um so
0: what, what would you like to toast uh,
1: well i i mean i'm i'm i've i've found myself a little linkwood 12 flora and fauna here oh, um nice. And, uh, I mean, I think the thing about Linkwood is it's it's always been one of those whiskies which, you know, you don't drink a lot of it. Actually, you don't find it everywhere. But, you know, this particular one, 43%, it's from the Flora and Fauna range. So it's from the same sort of range that we used to have for, uh, just pouring it out here, another that another we another. used to have for Rosebank, that Diageo produced. So it's a Diageo distillery. 43%, but I mean, the thing that really strikes you about it's very fruity, very fruity, light-coloured, so probably more in that bourbon maturation mm-hmm, refill area. Yeah. So vanilla is of course, to the fore, but it has this real sort of wide variety of fruits, from grapes to a bit of perfume, a bit of... Very lovely. And then there's this maltiness that comes through. I'm very nice. I'm going to have a little taste.
0: And Linkwood-Gordon, to... just uh, geographically... Um, Linkwood. Oh. Where is it? <laughs> I'm trying to remember exactly where <laughs> I was it is. I It's not really on the beaten path No, I, it, it's a...
1: It, it, no. Um, it's a distillery up on Speyside. Yeah. Um, no, that's fine. That's all... But um, near Elgin. Right. Um, but it's not one that you... No, It's no, not no. one people go, oh, Linkwood distillery, whatever. It's, a, it's certainly a little bit off the beaten track. And obviously, I think probably, you know, it's been closed, of course. But... Um, you know, it's a Diageo distillery which created some amazing whiskies, but it's just, um, just uh, sort of in the Elgin area and um, on yeah, the burn of Linkwood, in, in fact. No, so no, never. Yeah. yeah just yeah. just outside, uh, just outside Elgin. Um,
0: uh, so it's on that top top part of Speyside, but which is, you know, we're talking about the Queen and making this a an episode, it's a regal royal episode. You're not kicking the teeth off of uh, Royal D side up there. A wee bit further away, but not too
1: far. I mean, Tom and Tools probably one of the closest distilleries. We'll come on to a little bit of the others that are, but no, you're not, you you, you are quite close sure. to the uh, you are quite close to that part of the world, obviously, where Her Majesty passed away. But we'll we'll come on to that. What are you drinking? I'm drinking,
0: and it's going to be a, a triumph of pronunciation. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I'm drinking. Uh, well, we had. Alex Bruce on the on the show a few a, lot, a few a few episodes a couple of years ago. <laughs> so that would get you um get you if you knew your owners and uh, managing directors Arden Markin. Now this is Arden and this is the Paul Lenoir. Uh, Arden Are you French? F- uh, yes, I will be after I drink this because it's fifty-seven point six percent. So um, first all bourbon barrels and then it gets finished in uh, a cast from Paul Lenoir. Le Noir, a champagne producer, mm. in, in Mesnil-sur-Augère. So... You're definitely not French. No, I'm not French. Um, uh, so that's interesting, Gordon. Wine finish on it as well. Uh-huh. And uh, what's that tasting like? Peppery. You know, mm-hmm. fruity, peppery. Um, my first Arden the I have to say.
1: Oh, it's quite fragrant on the nose, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very nice. Sort of a...
0: Berry berries. So I think we'd say Well, let's to... raise
1: a, raise a little toast to um Her, her Royal Highness Queen Elizabeth. Slange. Slange. Mm. So, so if we look at if we look at the Queen mm-hmm. and we look at her association with whiskey, I think it was well known that she liked a gin. Yes. Um but she that didn't mean that she didn't enjoy
0: a dram from time to time, I believe. I think they appreciated it as well, and I think we are sitting in the boardroom of Glengoyne, and the Queen's mother, of course, quite famously, it gave this place a royal warrant, or at least the owners, Lang brothers in 1984, a royal warrant that's lasted until 2002, until her death, and you're allowed to keep that warrant for five years. And on investigation, Gordon, a few years ago, I contacted the palace, and they were very, very um, kind and sort of emailed me back a few times to confirm, indeed, that the Queen Mother. Uh, used to be supplied, because your royal warrant is about being supplied, uh, you're supplying the royal household, mm. and the Glen going 10, although it couldn't be specific, and Langs blended whisky, the supreme blend, the Langs 8, the Langs 12, Glen going 10 would be part of the consignment mm. down to Clarence House, and I believe the Queen Mother used to um, give everyone a, a palate cleanser before mm. the meal. So it was a wonderful honour to be bestowed upon this distillery and indeed the owners, who at the time, of course, were Edrington. Of course. And uh, I mean, other
1: distilleries that spring to mind that I am aware of is Laphroaig has a Royal Warrant for His Royal Highness Prince Charles, mm-hmm. uh, well, now King Charles. So I'm assuming that that Royal Warrant will then change to become a Royal Warrant for the King. I'm, I'm not too sure how it works, but every time you pick up a bottle of Lefroy, that Royal Warrant is on the... ...on the package, so uh, and he was there not that long ago, probably five or six years ago...
0: Um, what a wonderful place, last episode, just in case you're joining us... Yes, uh, we were there last episode as well, Gordon, and you've almost... Um, I'm not going to say too much, but um, yeah, 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 we'll have a little royal quiz later on... <laughs> but the, the royal connection to whiskey really stretches right back, and when I say right back, we are in series gone by... Mm. We used to do the day th- or the year that changed whiskey. Mm. And this is the 200th anniversary of King George the Fourth our Queen's great, great, you know, uh, grandfather, arriving in Edinburgh on a royal visit. And no king had set foot on Scottish soil since before the first Jacobite re- rebellion. Mm. And this visit was overseen by none other than Sir Walter Scott he of the Waverley novels, he that used to write about Rob Roy MacGregor, who used to sheep rustle around these very hills that we're looking onto, and he wrote what really was historical fiction. And not only did the world fall in love with the romantic tales from Scotland, so did the king. He wanted to come and visit. And maybe it'd be apocryphal, Gordon, but certainly in most whisky books, talk about Sir Walter Scott rowing out to the flagship of the king docked just off of Edinburgh, and asking what, my liege, you would like to drink before you set foot in Scottish soil. And he says, why, I'll have some of that lovely whisky from the Glenlivet Valley.
2: I'll mm. have
0: some Highland single malt whisky, which, of course, in those days, was illegal to consume south of, of course, that yeah. island line, which was drawn up in 1784. So the king effectively was breaking the law. And within a year, that legislation where you could not export Highland whisky to the south was was taken off the map, Hmm. but the line still stands and that's where Glengoyne is bisected through that Highland line. So that, there was other reasons for effective legalisation of the Excise Act in 1823, but a colourful story and quite a colourful character, George IV's visit to the capital of Scotland the 200th anniversary. And that really is the starting pistol for legalisation in Scotch whisky the year after, mm. 1823. So there's a royal connection already, Gordon. Absolutely. And I mean, I think the other
1: thing, of course, is we, we if we just look a little bit into the history of maybe more specific distilleries and we look more into the sort of history of... Uh, um, you know in the 1800s for example we, we, we know that you know the, the the distillery closest to Balmoral Royal Loch yes, um, received its royal warrant in 1848 um, when John Begg invited uh, Prince Albert um, to visit the distillery from the nearby uh, Balmoral castle um, and I think you know we, we it just sort of shows that when you know you have something that is as fundamental to Scotland as whisky. It's really great to see that it's such a big part of, you know, um,
0: the, the royals have such a big role in it as and, well. And that really was, Gordon, uh, Queen Victoria and Prince Albert can be said. And there was many reasons that, you know, why Scotch whisky is now the, the world's renowned liquid it is. Uh, and there's many reasons for that. One of them was in the 19th century, that royal approval from Victoria and Albert, who set up Balmoro 1848, as you're saying, and really started to um, embrace Scotch whisky and encourage people from the south to come up and visit Scotland. It wasn't a wilderness, it was to be enjoyed, lots of lovely food up here, and also whisky. And that um, middle and upper classes, realising it was okay to drink what. Mm previously was considered an outdoor drink for the gillies on the moors shooting the game. Uh, this would heat you up. It was now a respectable middle-class drink, and Queen Victoria so. and Prince Albert were really responsible, I would say, hmm. partly for getting Scotch whisky to, to the heights it would reach by the end of the 19th century. And then the other one that, that springs to mind, of course, is Royal Bracla,
1: which ah. is a distillery owned by Bacardi Dewars, and actually that was, got its Royal warrant just before Nagar. Uh, Lochnagar obviously location-wise very close to Balmoral Brackler, not 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 quite as close but it it um, received its uh, royal warrant its seal of approval from King William so yes yes before the Victorian era um, and that was led to Brackla being known as the king's own Whiskey. so um, clearly Whiskey you know um, and the royals go back a really really
0: long way and what i like about the uh, story that then pick, takes up peace after the 1850s, 1860s, the phylloxera aphid hits France, devastates the um, regions of Champagne and Loire. You get the um, cognac and brandy disappearing, so Scotch now becomes the replacement for that drink that people used to enjoy so much. And then you get those wonderful Scottish entrepreneurs, the Victorian geniuses of Tommy Dewar and James Buchanan of Black and White, and indeed, Tommy Dewar and his other friend, Tommy Lipton. <laughs> Tommy Lipton, who was the tea it entrepreneur. Was. So you had Tommy Lipton and Tommy Dewar at the very peak of British society. Uh, I think Tommy Dewar was the second person to own a car. Tommy Lipton, horses. used to race the derby alongside their good friends, the Prince of Wales. He also challenged the America's Cup. There you go. he was a big sailor of course he was, and that did take a lot of deep pockets it does take even, a lot of deep it does now but i'm sure back then it did as well absolutely so yeah. you had these scottish um two scotch toms one of them in the whiskey industry at the very top of victorian society when whiskey was booming and the money was plentiful
1: it, it, and,
0: and 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 then even if you go a little bit more
1: sort of a little bit more sort of present day to the the current uh, or not current unfortunately the uh the queen or the late queen it's very difficult it's very difficult it's such a
0: transition at the moment
1: it is um she visited beaumore which is a distillery. Ah, you know we, we've yes. just been there of course on and um, if you want to hear our visit listen to the first episode but she visited uh, her first ever visit to a scotch whiskey distillery oh. was beaumore um, good um 1980 good to see she picked a really accessible one um <laughs> Um, but she visited Beaumont in 1980, so that's you know 42 years ago. So, she, I mean, that's unbelievable amount of um, and that
0: really wasn't at the height of the whiskey boom.
1: No, the whiskey the boom 1980 was, was we, were, we were retreating from whiskey, no, and it, it was part of the Morrison family at that point. That was ahead of the purchase of Beaumont by Suntory in the 90s and then the current, but um. Yeah, I mean, I remember stories of her visiting uh, there and she was quite taken by it and, and, as a location, quite taken by the style oh, of the whiskey, yeah, yes. And uh, um, that was the first distillery she ever visited. And anybody else knows any other distilleries that the Queen has visited? Um, That
0: would be nice to know. I'm sure she's visited a few. But that's the power of, you know, people sometimes say the monarchy, you know, is it still relevant? But there's an industry that was in decline. Absolutely. She goes and visits in 1980. Uh, and I can see, you know, I, I I don't know much about that visit, but I, I could, I'm reading in between the lines that trying to show up a, an industry that was um, suffering in the nineteen in 1980 anyway. So, um, if you can get royal approval, as we've talked about, Queen Victoria, Prince Albert, it's, it goes a long way, Gordon. A royal warrant or at least royal approval can really um, resonate with the customers and distributors and people that consume the whiskey. Absolutely,
1: so, absolutely, and also a bit closer to home. And and she, um, I know that she visited the Allied Distillers bottling plant in Dunbarton as well. Um, not quite as, you know, picturesque maybe as uh, as uh, Isla, but uh, she she was absolutely involved in and in, in visiting and and you know, uh, uh, you know, positive for the industry.
0: That, yes, and, and it's a place I'd like to talk about. Cause I've done a little bit of research, but it's not really for this episode. But Hiram Walker. When he arrives just after Prohibition Mm. in 1934, it might be 36, um, purchases places in Dumbarton. And that's really one of the first times that the Scottish whisky industry have a a proper automated from grain to bottle operation going on. He really sort of industrialises the process. And I think that's something we must tuck away for another episode. No, so I mean, you know, in this
1: week of mourning, I guess, um, it's, uh, it's nice just to... Touch on what um the the late Queen has done for this industry and the royals in a slightly wider context.
0: I I think it's um, it's not to be underestimated their no. contribution to it as well, no, as, totally. as well. Right through royalty from the as you've mentioned, George the we who talked about right through mm. William the before Queen mm. Victoria and then straight through to uh, I don't want to ruin one of my quest- quiz questions. Gordon, right. right through to another king uh, to the present day with Charles and the Queen visiting Beaumont. It has absolutely. been um, very important to have the patronage.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. So, label. again to the Queen. yeah Slange Bar. That's great, Gordon. And, um, yeah.
0: Mm. We will miss you. So, and um it's a very rural location. It's very rural, and coming it's up, about, it's,
1: it's on a single track road. It's about a twenty-five mile single track road journey. Well, coming
0: up uh, later on in this program, Gordon, if we have time, I would love to take you to the Cotswolds, ah. which is a visit I performed in summer, and it is
1: very rural as well. Well, I mean, it's also quite relevant, of course, because she was. We're talking about the Queen and Britain and things like that, and whiskey is now not just Scotch. Of course, Scotch is. But it's a, it's an English thing, it's a Welsh thing, it's an Irish thing, so we should celebrate it all, particularly yeah. in this, in this, uh, at this current time. So I'm really looking forward to. It. I think Cotswolds have done some really interesting things, and uh, I'm really interested to hear, yeah, uh, hear what I was
0: happening. Don't want to give any facts away there, but it's uh, packed full of some interesting facts. But Gordon, a couple of things just to. I wouldn't say light in the mood but I have a, a and you've touched on a two of these facts already how's like to play I've got the answer what's the question royal special
1: uh yes absolutely let's 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 go
0: for this uh, um, you have already blown my first one out Brackla in 1835 by William IV oh, right. That's the yeah. answer 1-0
2: <laughs> you've
0: got the activity. What was the first scotch whiskey distillery to get around? Yes, yes that's right uh, 1835 I mean that's really at like the birth of the Mm-hmm. You know, we're 1833. Yeah. You're, you know, so that's really they get into the motor industry. Okay, question two. She would drink it with water, soda, claret, or in tea? Um How would Queen Elizabeth drink whiskey? Not quite. You've got to go further back. Oh, Queen Victoria? That's right. How would Queen Victoria drink her whiskey? With water, soda, claret. Now that's now, there's oh, a cocktail. you oh, should get some claret and give it a try. Or in tea. And of course, um, nice. that famous movie with Billy Connolly, John Brown, the Gilly. Yeah, yeah, Who he said course. to have introduced Queen Victoria to whiskey to keep her warm. She fell in love with it. Uh, she already, along with her husband, who died sadly, Albert, started uh, giving patronage to local distilleries. That's right. uh, and I yeah. believe in 1893, 95, two... Royal warrants distilleries in Deeside, which caused a bit of consternation in London. Oh. She was hitting the sauce a bit hard. Um, here we go three. Um, the answer is Ballendalach in two thousand and fifteen. Have you been to Balindalech? I have. I was
1: there. Not. I was there two weeks ago, seeing a friend of mine, Karen, who works for them. Oh right, right. Um, I've stood outside. I've um, never actually been in small distillery. In. Uh, worm tubs. Oh, right. It's got the worm tubs. Um, nice little setup, and I think they're coming close to producing their first whiskey, which is very exciting. So that was... Uh, so something um, so happened
0: in 2015.
1: Princess Anne opened it. Oh,
0: you've hit the bar, Gordon. You've hit the bar. Uh, Charles. Charles. King Charles III. King third. Charles III opened. Prince opened, opened. Ballandalch in 2015. Ah, yeah. So you're saying that's now what's... Yeah,
1: it's not not, going to be a three-year-old, but I think they're not not far off a a, a new whisky, which I think is very exciting. Well, that's interesting, because I don't want to give too
0: much away with the Cotswolds distillery, but they did release a three-year-old whisky, so that's a decision you have to make. But as long as it's great, it doesn't, you know, if if it tastes great, age does not matter. Mm, That's a very interesting, great debate. Um, The answer is 1935, two years before George V's death. What is the question? So <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, so nineteen, so
1: 19 so thirty-five. So two years before George, George V's death, something happened. It must yep. be. Is it another royal warrant?
0: Yeah. Oh, yes. This is a royal. Yep. Mm, yeah,
1: okay. Um, I can't think of another whiskey single malt that's got a,
0: a royal warrant. It's a tough one, this one. It's a real tough right, one. Okay. Johnny Walker. Have... Johnny, Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker. finally secures a Royal Warrant 1935. So it takes a while for them to get a Royal Warrant, considering how massive they were then and they are now. And I believe 75 years later, they released a special, George V, bottling. Oh, there we go. Very
1: good. Didn't know that. Thank you very much. So that's very good, Gordon. Great.
0: Now, Gordon, um, usually on a normal show, we do the Whiskey News. Uh And I think we had a wee chat over a dram before the show. Uh And you were saying, possibly not, not a bad time to have a reset of the industry lockdowns yeah. in most countries are over, yeah. COVID's sort of, yeah. hopefully a distant memory. Could you paint a picture of the industry? Well, you've been out and about
1: as well, so you can get a feel for it. But I think certainly from an industry perspective, we're under unprecedented times in terms of costs to produce.
0: Is, is that just energy?
1: Not just energy. I mean, energy, you know, in this country for businesses is... There's no cap, there's no... So so there's a lot of issues with that and and we're hearing four times more expensive to produce, which, you know, is significant. Um, uh, From a power perspective, barley, the prices of barley is going up, the price of casks are going up, so sherry casks, bourbon casks, the availability of bourbon casks is less. So there's a lot of factors that are making whiskey very, very expensive. And have you heard about this
0: cardboard thing as well?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, that's just from a producing distillery perspective. And then all the on-cost, all the the dry goods of bottles, um, you know, bottles are more expensive and the delivery is longer and you have to order more. Capsules, all these things feed into the problems and the issues that some distilleries are having with getting products out to market. Add in the shipping costs and the shipping issues. It's throughout the whole process. So, um, you know, I think, I think it's, it's not going to go away in the short term. Um, but it's just a little bit of stark realisation that if you can't get your favourite whisky at the moment, there's a lot of factors that might be impacting
0: on that. I can already hear people thinking, listening to this, will be thinking, when's that feeding through to the shelf? Well, I mean, I think, you know, there's no secret that I think people
1: have seen Scotch whisky prices, single malt prices rise if I'm honest, I don't see it changing. Uh, I don't see there's not going to be a, a a sudden, you know, we've, we're suffering from inflation here, as is the world. So across everything, um, I'm afraid Scotch whisky is probably only going one way at the moment.
0: Now, we're talk- going to have a, let listen to the Cotswolds, an English distillery. What's happening out there in the world? Scotch whisky seems to be, it's not under siege, but my goodness, there's an awful lot of, Competition now that there never was.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, let's just... If, if we look in a very general sense, if you're an established business, um, the last two, three years has been pretty good, if we're honest, in terms of selling whiskey and making profit. That's good for everybody who works in the industry. It's good for, you know, the, the, the sort of strength of the Scotch whiskey industry. So Scotch is looking great. If we look into Scotland, we have a lot of new distilleries who now are going to be suffering from higher energy costs, higher production costs, and maybe don't have a whiskey released as yet. And that is really challenging for them. And I hope that the well-funded ones, they're all well-funded and they get through it. But there's also a crowded element at the moment in, in whiskey in general. I was in the States in May and there was, there's a lot of bourbons. And and I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm unsure of the market for bourbons that are, more regional and but similar tastes. I'm not sure on that, and I think there may be a bit of a consolidation going on in there. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to happen in Scotland, Australia. I've just been in Australia. There's a lot of distilleries in Tasmania as well, um, and I just I, I I think from a smaller producer perspective, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years. But uh, we're in unprecedented times in making whiskey. But what is really interesting when you come to Glen or you speak to anybody from most other distilleries everybody's producing nobody's cutting back mm-hmm. um and despite the the, the the problems with bottles and the problems with all that sort of side of it far less barley you know um
0: casks and things like that everybody is producing so um and how's the demand because if that dries up
1: well, the at demand- the moment it
0: would be fair to say that it's selling that Whis- yeah
1: a- I mean I think in a general sense whiskey is selling uh, I think the market is relatively buoyant but look at what's going on in the world. I think you know we've got we're gonna have inflation in the long term across most of the western western world um, we're gonna have other issues uh, and and ultimately you know for a lot of people whiskey is a luxury So what you may see is I think what happened in lockdown was people, traded up so if you were drinking a 15 you might have bought an 18 or you were buying a bottle of whiskey at 50 pounds on a general basis you may have spent 70. we may see that go back again and people spending a little bit less on their whiskey but you know there's always demand at the moment whiskey scotch whiskey particular particularly has a lot of demand mm-hmm. and um but um there are unprecedented factors in all aspects of getting the bottle to the market yeah in, in your lifetime
0: have you seen um, no, no, no never
1: seen anything like it no and that's quite a long time
0: yeah and <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing that might not be a bad uh, stopping point to have a little listen to your friends have you met Rob Pratchett before I have no, not not met Rob Pratchett but I like the name uh, but this was on my general holiday, Gordon. So you were on holiday, but you were still working. Uh, yeah, I took this little device down, and it was a great way of getting to a distillery. And I just want you to listen to this and come back. With, uh, it's one or two very interesting facts It come out of this visit to an English single malt whiskey distillery. Take it away.
2: Hi, Gordon. I'm Rob. I'm the Global Whiskey Ambassador here at the Cotswolds Distillery. Ah, Rob. Finally, it's quite a a
0: journey to get into the Cotswolds. I thought I'd passed the Cotswolds in a previous life, but my goodness, you are in the middle of what I think is nowhere.
2: Yeah, no one's passing us accidentally. We're uh, very much a remote place, but... Quite a nice, little, uh, a nice little safe haven of good whisky in the middle of the Cotswolds countryside. This is it's like
0: heaven. This is like, this is like an oasis for any whisky lover out there. Listen Rob, thanks for joining us on Whisky Unscripted. You've given me a little whistle stop through the distillery. Uh, can we go somewhere for a, a chat? Absolutely, yeah. Let's what? do it. Good. Preferably, preferably a room with whisky bottles in it. Of course, always. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, so here we are in the... Uh, oh where are we, Rob?
2: Where have you taken me to? There's whisky all over this place. So right now we are in the uh, whiskey blending room here at the distillery. So this is a room where we're able to do research and development, sensory analysis, but also the blending of future releases. And uh, just to just paint a picture, one long table across the room with multiple shelves of hundreds of bottles of not only our whiskey, but whiskies from distilleries that we appreciate and then we've also got archives of all of our casks and oh, yeah. all of our new make samples as well. Oh lovely,
0: that's lovely. So Cotswold Distillery, let's just get to the uh, the start.
2: Uh, where did it all begin? So uh, we started uh, We started with our owner Dan, Dan Jor. He, um, he had aspirations to start a whiskey distillery after quite a successful career in, uh, in New York and Paris and London but his one true love was always whiskey And so a few chance happenings occurred in which he decided that he was gonna start a Cotswolds distillery based on, he lived in the Cotswolds, he wondered why no one had ever started a distillery here even though there are barley fields as far as the eye can see. And so uh, with some help from various friends in the industry such as the the great Jim McEwan, who was definitely a man that was influential in Dan's decision making and then working with people like Harry Coburn and Jim Swan, having the team from Forsyth's as part of the installation initially in 2014. It really was about Dan's dream to create a whisky, but working with the best in the business to make sure that we did it correctly.
0: That is the, that's some great names there. And you said this is a a Swan distillery. Yeah, yes. The process is in um, place here. So what, at the beginning, it was a farm. Yeah. Then this equipment arrives, what equipment arrives and... Could you explain what's there right now and how it all fits together?
2: Yeah, so um, initially we wanted Forsythes to come in and from what I can gather from Dan's stories and talking to Dan is that we were put on a three-year waiting list to work with Forsythes for our our stills. So, you know, Dan first started having these conversations late 2013 um, and three years would have been far too long, but a few chance occurrences happened with other distilleries that Forsyth actually said to dan listen some things have happened there are some stills that are exactly to the spec that you want and we can come down in three months instead of three years and we can kit out the entire distillery and dan just jumped to the chance and said yes Um, and that's when we were able to get jim and harry to come down and help our young team because we started out and you know we had a couple of people that had been in the drinks industry but dan has no drinks background so we really were calling on Jim to help us refine the entire process uh, so that we could create the best spirit possible from day one as opposed to, you know, stabbing yeah. in the dark. Are, you, these are great names. Yeah.
0: Great names uh, to work with. So the process. Um, yes. I've had a peek into the distillery, and I do encourage anyone listening to, to come in. It's absolutely marvellous. Uh, two
2: stills. Yep, so right now, uh, currently, we're operating on two stills. So we've got Proud Mary, our wash still, and Janice, our spirit still. Both of them 100% copper pot, four-side stills. Um, We're running a very clear wort on the mash. We're then going a four-day fermentation on two yeast strains. So when we went up to the, the washbacks and we got a brilliant aroma of, you know, pineapple and banana bread and things like that, all those fruity characteristics. We're just trying to retain that to make a fruity spirit that is almost smells and tastes like an eau de vie. So that we're creating a great spirit that we can then use really high quality casks to create the best liquid possible. Yeah, so you've got
0: long fermentation there, so you're talking, how many hours?
2: 96 hours. 96
0: hours fermentation. Yeah.
2: And uh, your cut points are coming in quite yep. high. Jim's one cut points, so we're cutting in at 75% ABV. Uh, the ABV rises up to about 82, and then we come down to 69 and cut out at 69. And that's 250 liters of spirit from the heart cut. Everything else is recycled through the low ones. But those 250 litres are high, fruity, really bright, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, really, really delicious. I
0: can see it in the bottles behind you there. The bur- fruits bursting out yeah. of that new make spirit. So you've got the new make spirit. Um, what are you maturing in?
2: So the majority of the casks that we're using are red wine STR casks. That's shaved, toasted and recharred red wine casks. Uh, it was a development created by Jim Swan. Um, he made them very, very famous by using them in Cavalan in Taiwan. Um, the vineyard Barrique is probably the most famous expression, but you'll find a lot of new distilleries mm-hmm. using them because you get great extraction, great fruit character, integration of spirit and wood happens quite quickly, but in an organic fashion so that it's not, it's not cheating the system, it actually creates a really nice fine balanced style of whiskey. Uh, and then we're using Firstville Bourbon, really great high quality sherry casks from, uh, from the south of Spain. And then we've got some exotics as well, such as Sauternes, Pinot de Chiron, Madeira, Calvados, Port, to name but a few. That's exciting.
0: It's very exciting. You put that fruity character into um, those casks and you'll get some delicious whiskies. Now, I know you do. So, um, when did those whiskies start coming of age? Or can I take you back, when did the spirit start flowing?
2: And when did the... I know there's gin as well, but when did whiskey come of age? So whiskey came of age in uh, late September, early October 2017. Um, Because of the STR casks and Jim's method of using fruity spirit, we could release a three-year-old that was legitimately a delicious whiskey. It wasn't rushed, it was designed that way. Um, So we started distilling around about the same time three years prior, and We were able to disgorge and produce our first bottle of whiskey live with Dave Broom at Whiskey Paris Live in 2017. And then when Dan came back, we had this huge party festival. Uh, We called it the Harvest Festival, in which we had a few thousand people here in the fields, just drinking drams, enjoying live music and enjoying the first whiskey released in the Cotswolds.
0: Oh, that's amazing. I'm not hugely up in all my English malts, but that must have been... One of the the first it's a pioneer, maybe not the first, but the, no
2: not the it. first, but we were one of the early uh one of the earlier distilleries I think we were we were the fourth distillery um and so fourth back in two thousand and fourteen to establish as an English whiskey distillery mm-hmm. and as we sit here today there are now forty four zero four zero English whiskey distilleries, yeah
0: my goodness, that's amazing and you were saying that and we'll have to do more, a little bit more of this than Whiskey Unscripted, um, the English Whiskey Guild is yep. now a uh, thing, it's now an, an organisation.
2: Yep, established this year in um, late May, early June. I mean, it had been a lot of work in the, in the behind the scenes working with various English whiskey distilleries to set up the English Whiskey Guild, but it's really exciting that we've got an English Whiskey Guild. We have, I believe, 14 or 15 members and all core distilleries within the overall movement and just able to f- sort of future-proof and protect the category moving forward. Um, really exciting times. Oh, that sounds great. Um, mother, there's a
0: couple of questions. Um, there's something exciting happening around the corner that you
2: might take me to, possibly, uh, we can have a look at. We can maybe have a sneak peek, yeah.
0: And um, can we talk to anybody else about, for a wee chat?
2: Uh, yeah, so we, there's a few people lurking about that I think you should definitely talk to. I think we should have a wee, well,
0: I wonder. Yeah, absolutely. Way. Right, yeah. let's go. Right, Rob, you promised something uh, almost a exclusive for Whiskey Unscripted. It's not really, but
2: something quite exciting. Where, where are you taking me? So, just tucked around the corner from where we were just having our conversation, we have decided to build and open a brand new distillery for whiskey.
0: What? what? This is amazing. We've just come round the corner here. There's a brand new building, and I can see some copper, two copper stills, and a Forsythes man.
2: Yeah, we've got the team from Forsythes down here. They're um, doing an incredible job of installing a brand new distillery. So, um, eight washbacks, brand new mash tun and two brand new wash and, wit and spirit stills for us as well. So, that will take our capacity up to about 500,000 litres of uh, pure alcohol a year. Yes, maybe never mention that, at the moment
0: it's what? How about, a, about
2: 115, 120, so this will take us up fourfold to be uh, one of the biggest English whiskey distilleries and it's really exciting. It's
0: really nice, isn't it? It's a distillery has been born, this is fantastic. And uh, Wednesday, opening date, when will you be in a field having another party?
2: <laughs> well there's a few scaling things that we need to just iron out with regards to getting the spirit right. But uh, we're hoping that around about September, October time, we should be getting the spirit where it needs to be and then it'll be nothing but a party from then. Well, maybe we'll get you back on Whiskey Unscripted when that all, when yeah. the button gets
0: pressed. be we're my pleasure, yeah. going to have the same sort of uh, buzz with Rosebank, of course, as well. Of course. In March, we had the Forsyth Stills come down to Falkirk and um, we're hoping that'll run round about Christmas time, January, um, and that'll be the same sort of buzz. So we'd maybe tune in with you guys as well and see how how things are comparing and contrasting. So, Rob, you promised me some voices and other people to try and grab from a busy schedule here at the Cotswolds. Who
2: who have you got? So, uh, Alice has just come over and joined us. Alice is Head of Sensory Development and R&D here at the distillery.
3: Alice, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, yeah, very well. That sounds a very grand title. (laughs) What does that entail? Um, All sorts, really. So anything from kind of new product development on the gin side, um, all the way through to sort of sampling, tasting, and maturing whiskey stock, um, and allocating casks for single casks and and specific releases. Single casks, quite exciting. That's quite nice. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. really cool. what kind of
0: singles are you working with
3: all sorts so i mean we have quite a range of what we call sort of exotics anything outside of our sort of core range um so recently we've done sort of madeira we've done a sort of port uh we're looking at muscatel we're looking at um really all sorts um even to the kind of weird and wonderful tequila vermouth etc as well
0: exciting now you mentioned the three-letter word that is hardly ever mentioned on whiskey unscripted which is gin (laughs) (laughs) so that's um so the gin has been distilled as well yes yes yeah, yeah, yeah. So you a whiskey run and a gin run yeah piff- uh, yeah
3: so the the gin uh, is much more straightforward process for us um we also do a lot of kind of uh compounding with gin uh so adding sort of sugar and, and things so we have some flavored gins and stuff um so not all just distilling on the gin side a bit of sort of mixing and things as well
0: and that's to, rob just to bring you back in it's quite a good money maker i would imagine gin as well it's certainly maybe not as high as it was maybe the last couple of years but still gin
2: gin for us is still really great Um, as well as making helping us with a bit of cash flow in the early days it also helps us build our brand on a global scale as well so we were able to work with various export markets building the brand with the gin and then as soon as the whiskey was ready they were all primed and prepped and ready to take it, so it's been quite strategic for us as well. That's
0: great. Sometimes I always slag off the gin, but didn't realise that's a great way of opening the door for the whiskey. Or maybe I'll look on it as a different uh, product. And Alice, what's the what? How, how what's it like working here in such a rural location? And what's on your plate in the short
3: term future? Mm, um, it's great. I mean, I I love the countryside, so it's it's the perfect place for me to be working and to have something so exciting in such a rural area as well is is really nice. Um, and then short term, what we're working on at the moment is is really developing those single casks um, and and making sure that we're offering the the best of our stock So at the moment for me, it's just tasting an awful lot of whiskey really.
0: <laughs> 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 Why I'm on hold? If I didn't, it's a fortnight. <laughs> I could have come down and been work experience for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Listen, guys, thank you so much. up no your busy at uh, all. Seems to be like a busy, busy time. So we're in the shop. This is wonderful. Could you just paint the picture? This. Was not here, or was it here before? No,
2: this wasn't here originally. Where we're actually stood was a garden that linked in between the distillery and the front office. Uh, we built this in 2018? 19, I was just corrected. Yeah, sorry. Anything pre-pandemic just blurs into me. But 2019, we built this, and we've got... So we're stood in the shop right now. Um, nice, big, beautiful, open air. We've got two mezzanines where we can do whiskey and gin blending oh, awesome. classes. We've got a cafe where people can just enjoy a bite to eat, some coffee and some whiskey and gin. And what's nice, Robbie,
0: as you're sitting here, you can look through and see the stills. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. That's a lovely bonus. We do
2: three tours a day, but if you can't get on a tour because they do book up quite quickly, you can just have lunch and watch the distillers hard at work at the same time. That's wonderful. And can we have a quick look at the fruits of the product? Of course, yes. You know, you've got a core range. Take us through it. So the core range we've got, uh, and it's really, it's a great time right now because we established our core range this year. So our signature, our Cotswold signature was the first whiskey we ever released back in 2017. And still to this day, it's the most popular and the best selling whiskey that we have. Uh, a blend of STR and bourbon cask, super fruity, you know, apricots, demerara sugar, really nice like apple and pear style notes as well. Um, and then we've got new to the family, we've got our Cotswolds Reserve, which is uh, predominantly bourbon cask with a little of STR in there as well. And that is just like walk, walking through an apple and pear orchard with loads of flowers and everything in it with regards to flavor. And then after that, we kick up into our cask strength expressions in which we've got expressions of Bourbon Cask, Sherry Cask, where we're using a combination of Oloroso and PX Sherry. Lovely colour. Yeah, amazing colour. Everything we do here is natural colour, non-chill filtered as well. We've got our Founders Choice, which is 100% STR, a bottling that we actually dedicate to Jim Swan as well. Dan's favourite expression, Dan the owner, but also uh, Jim's introduction of the STR has been quite important to us. So the Founders Choice was our second release and still one of the most important things that we do. And then we've also got our peated cask, in which we're maturing our spirit in quarter casks from an Islay distillery that will remain nameless, but I'm pretty sure we can all figure out which one it is. And that's our way of having a peated release without actually having peated malt. Uh, ah, yeah,
1: yeah, using the cask. Yep, right.
2: Yeah. And then we have some seasonals as well. So we have our spring release, which is Hearts and Crafts. And we release this every year, a small little parcel of between three and 5,000 bottles um, we've done previously in 2020, we did sauterne in 2021, we did Pinot de Chiron, and then this year we've done Rum Cask. Um, so they're really nice expressions of what French oak does with our spirits, so we've got nice spice, we've got a bit of more tannin, and then more obscure style flavors as well. And, uh, yeah, they sell phenomenally well as as, uh, single batch releases. That's a lovely idea, though, seasonal.
0: Yeah, we've got a new one
2: coming out this year, which we're quite excited about as well, the Harvest release. Um, So that's coming out later September as well.
0: Great. Listen, that's a wonderful range, Rob. And um, it's a very wonderful destination. I'm just looking around because there's always something more to see, but uh, you certainly can spend a few hours in this little... Corner of the Cotswolds.
2: That's the idea. Between an amazing whisky range, a great gin range, you know, a nice terrace, a cafe, tours. And how many
0: people, roughly, a year coming in?
2: Um, between here and the two other shops that we have in the Cotswolds, we say about a hundred thousand people a year. Wow. Well, so get yourselves
0: down here. But you'd have to book first, I think. That's the... Listen, thank you so much for giving us a whistle-stop tour. I'm going to put the flip-flops back on and get into holiday mode.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. The sun is shining.
0: Thank oh, you. Oh, brilliant. Rob, thank you so much for joining us on Whiskey Unscripted. Thank you, Gordon. Cheers. So, so at the beginning, it's Rob Patchett, of course, Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> I do apologise, Rob, to know you're listening. But uh, what a great guy. What a great place. Now... The facts. I've I, never been. I want to go. You must. It's really interesting. How I did not know when I rocked up there that Forsyth's would be round the corner, building two more stills and six washbacks. Um, so there you go. That's the that's expansion. But Gordon, um, I think if you heard Rob saying they were the fourth to start in England. Yes, I think now the first. forty distilleries, as you heard there, four yes. zero.
1: So I think the first was St George's, which was in Norfolk. Yes, I think you great. Andrew Nelstrop, I think, was the initial gentleman who mm-hmm. started the first English whiskey company. I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, Norfolk, which right. is which is obviously the flattest bit of England. Yes, um, the bread basket, sometimes the bread basket of England, indeed. But um, uh, and I don't know what two and three were, but yep. um, fabulous. But you look at what you know, Cotswolds are doing. Other people within whiskey, generally, Bimber is another prime example. Yep. Really great
0: whiskies coming out of very good mistake. everywhere and that's
1: great for and everybody
0: and just as you heard them there just that quick word Jim Swan distillery he was oh, down yeah. there overseeing yeah. the, the the creation of it all in those STR casks as you heard well, shaved yeah. toasted recharged
1: well, we, yeah I mean Jim Jim was an incredible man and had influence across a whole load of distilleries that that we think of from day to day so um died very unfortunately a few years ago which was a real shame but um Jim, I met Jim out in Taiwan when I lived in Taiwan, and he was consulting for Cavalan mm-hmm. out there. Um, uh, we were also at Kilhoman, and he was involved with Kilhoman in terms of producing their style of spirit and also these STR casks, which we see more and, being used more and more. Penderin, oh, Welsh yes. whiskey also. Um, very unique spirit there at high alcohol percentage of about 90-plus percent alcohol, so it's a very high... Pretty unique distillate and and style of of whiskey, but Jim, there's many others that I'm sure he's he's worked and on. What legacy? You know, we've talked oh. about
0: this kind like, of royal themed show about people's legacy and uh, oh, for sure. But what legacy Jim has he was, left? He was the consultant that
1: you would go to if 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 I had ten million pounds and I wanted to build a distillery. What am I going to do that sets it apart? What spirit style am I going to create? And if you're particularly not, you're not like we have. So we're, you know we're uh, we we knew exactly what we wanted to do at rosebank we wanted to re- recreate what was what was there so we've used the same shape stills etc but if you're creating a distillery from from nothing in a field somewhere what you know ha- yeah, exactly what's what the happened. style it's you exactly want to that's exactly what get. happened that's yeah. you know
0: that's why it's uh, worth a visit, these um, distillers at Jim, whose thumb okay. and fingerprint is all over. And that's exactly what the Cotswolds yeah. embodies. Absolutely. It was a farm with loads of barley. How do we make it into distillery? Uh, and it's
1: and, and what wonderful. a beautiful part of the world, the Cotswolds, is it should have lovely whiskey coming from it. It's just a stunning
0: part. Yeah, yeah. And just round the corner, Ed, that's where Tom Cruise had his 60th. And do you know what, Gordon, our invite wasn't, I didn't, did you get? A, a, didn't get no. one, sadly. But yeah, no. that, that's the kind of well-heeled client Yeah, the, yeah. the Cotswolds takes in. Absolutely. Uh, wonderful. And a, a final point I thought was interesting. This year, uh, the creation of the English Whiskey Guild. This Brilliant. is really beginning. Now 14, 15 members uh, on oh. the on the board, but this is really becoming something. I rich, mean,
1: to have yeah. something like that, to, if you look at what's happening in English whiskey, you look at what's happening in Japanese whiskey, ultimately, all these things can only bode well to support the... Uh, Support the credibility of these whiskies going forward. I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of English whiskey producers would have looked to the rules of Scotch whiskey, obviously, in terms of how you make uh, how you make their, the the single malt, for example. But um, also, even aside from that, you know, you've got different styles of whiskies coming out now.
0: It's it's a really exciting prospect. Well, they did mention, as you heard there, about the exotic casks. That's one yeah. of their uh, things are majoring on. Just something really. Different, all these sauternes and, and oh, totally, uh, yeah. all the spirits that you can use nowadays, which is really interesting. I'm drinking one now, Arnold, working from my lovely champagne producer, finishing exactly, yeah. that lovely wine cast. Exactly.
1: No, Fabulous, fabulous. So, no, very interesting, very interesting. Must go, and uh, I love what they
0: do. Well, Gordon, it's almost time to wrap up this episode. I think we've done very well. Uh, it's been, as you say, a strange time um, heading strange. towards the... Queen's state funeral on Monday, but the distillery closed, and here we are in the boardroom, where many a decision has been made. And I think the decision should be to raise one final glass to the Queen.
1: Absolutely, Mm -hmm. Um, fantastic.